This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? the show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya Hooper, and I'm the host of What Was Her Name? And This week, I am uh, interviewing a friend that has uh, navigated the court system herself after uh, leaving an abusive relationship and is going to really be talking to those who are navigating or maybe in these steps or are out of an abusive uh, situation. So yeah, um, this episode I do want to note is going to be anonymous and um, we are going to go from there. I really hope that this equips you and that you walk away from this episode really just feeling empowered with tools um, to navigate um, your journey. So yeah, if you want to go ahead and um, maybe you can go ahead and just explain um, what it is that you do. Yes, I am a survivor of domestic violence and a survivor of the family court system. I'm wanting to speak about um, how to successfully navigate the process in a way that I wish every woman in my position could achieve. And today I'll be focusing on preparation, documentation, agencies you could encounter and benefit from, how to navigate a process that you're unfamiliar with. Um, And the most important is um, to fight to protect yourself and your children. And it's all about going into it and making deliberate choices, why it's important to not speak with your abuser, once you leave about regarding plans and that's extremely imperative to successfully achieve your goals. I really think this is like a very powerful topic just because in preparing for this season, um, there's a panel of, you know, health professionals and, um, you know, now there is you who is like aiding us and giving us tools because I think as, you know, someone who has also, navigated the court system like there's no like tools right out the bat I think like unless you know somebody who's also navigated this like it's very very difficult to know what to do and it's imperative that you like once you leave um act in a certain manner and most people don't know that because like how could you know that if you've never been in abusive relationship and also people don't really talk about it either Um, And I think that's where a lot of us get tripped up because we don't know what to do. And, you know, we get very tied in, you know, it's kind of crazy to me how important it is, like how you handle leaving and what you do and the steps that happen right after you leave um, in a time where so many people are so confused because they have been like so manipulated and they're still in that cycle of abuse that they still, you know, often are leaving because they have to, but they, don't even really know if they're making the right decision. And so this is, I think, going to be practical tools that you can listen to and 
even if you're confused, even if you're still in that, you know, manipulative like cycle of abuse, you can listen to this, allow for yourself to at least take these notes and to be aware, okay, like these are the steps that somebody who's navigated this has gone through and is helping many other people uh, successfully achieve uh, freedom and taking these notes and really letting this be like that first step. Because I don't know anywhere besides like a domestic violence shelter that you could go and listen to something and be able to find these tools and be equipped. Um, it's just, it's just not out there. In my opinion, I, I was completely lost. I was Googling everything I could possibly imagine to just try and figure out what to do and what steps to take. So I'm just really grateful that you're coming on and you're willing to speak about this and willing to equip others because you have just like so much wisdom and so much knowledge from your own personal experiences. And I love to see like how you're using that to help others now. Thank you. And that is one thing that I think is important about the confusion, because one thing I always take into account is whenever I meet someone and I talk with someone that is after they've left or possibly in different times that they might be thinking that it's an abusive relationship, but aren't sure because of the confusion and because of things like gaslighting, but also because typically you're cut off from everything. Right. And when I went through this, um, I had no access to the internet. Hmm. I had no access. We didn't have um, like cable or internet. So I wasn't able to even watch, see anything on TV, you know, even like I had no connection with anyone. Hmm. I was not able to Google, <clears throat> Google anything. I, um, this was when I left, it was also when social media was there, um, but it wasn't how it is now. There were, there wasn't, even if I had that access, there wasn't any groups or any forums on social media where you could engage, where you could kind of learn, like, is this some, is am I imagining this or is this really happening? Mm -hmm. And also I had no way to understand, um, like what the steps to take, like what to do, like how to leave and what to do once I left. Mm -hmm. Because not only was it my not having the access, but it was also over 10 years ago. And the agencies now that exist in different states, there's, they're more educated. They, they're offering more resources. Um, even police departments, um, they, I now reflect on my situation and what is happening now when I interact with law enforcement and even law enforcement is more educated and understanding than what, what it was like when I was going through this. Hmm. So even if you're completely isolated, you this, you can still do this, but you have to be, you have to really make sure you're taking the right steps Mm -hmm. and everything you do everything you say everything you act is very important um and also just there's a few things that i would bring up that like i actually learned that i didn't know Mm -hmm. when i left and i was fortunate enough that some of the mistakes that were made i was still able to get freedom Mm -hmm. and It's because you have to educate yourself and it's extremely important. 
Um, the one thing, the first thing I'll talk about really, cause it's the first step before you leave is just the preparing to leave. Um, a lot of times, you know, with how we have smartphones and computers and laptops, the way to look at things and people can get access to your, your phone or your computer. I, I found, even though there was no smartphones, really there were, but they were still so new. I didn't have that. And I was afraid to even write anything down as notes. So my entire relationship, once I realized what was happening, that this was not safe, this is not how I wanted to live. This is not what I wanted my future to be. I had to make sure I remembered everything. So even when I was alone and wasn't able to leave my house because I didn't have access to my car all the time or my child's car seat. Um, so I couldn't leave the home. Even when I was there alone, I had to just constantly think about what was happening, what he was doing, what he did that day, what he said that day. And also just his mental notes. My focus was to remember every single thing. So once I could leave, I would then be able to write it down. I would then be able to share with anyone, any of the agencies and a lawyer and the family courts once I was able to get out. And so that's something I think kind of scares people too, is they're afraid to write down. They're afraid to search for things because they're always being monitored. Mm -hmm. And you will have to prepare also knowing that you're going to, you will have to relive everything as you, after you leave and you talk to different professionals. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of, you have to compartmentalize so you can stay focused. I think that's really important. Um, what you just said, like you have to learn how to compartmentalize. Um, and for those like who are listening, like if you haven't listened to, uh, it was the second episode with Dr. Carl Russell. He gives tools in aiding in how to compartmentalize and how to self-soothe and self-regulate, um, which are tools that I found really important when I was, you know, in situations where I needed to compartmentalize. And there have been times where I've crumbled and crumbling isn't, isn't bad. It's a healthy thing. But um, when you're having to relive your story and depending on where you're at in the situation, uh, that's requiring you to relive your story it is really important, like you said, as a survivor to learn how to compartmentalize. It's a strategy, I think, in itself. It is. And in part of compartmentalizing, I also found bef while I was living in it and then after I left, my focus had to stay on this wasn't going to be my future. This wasn't going to be my child's future. And so you have to focus on the goal because in between leaving and going through family courts, there's so much happening and there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of scared of the unknown that you have to stay focused on what your actual goal is. And just, I found that like imagining what my life would be like once I gained my freedom is what helped me when I felt like I kept hitting like dead ends. Um, sometimes the documentation can't really start until after you leave. That's why it's important to like, just focus on what's going on and think about 
this is important. This is what, this is what happened. This is what led up to him doing this. But if you can document and you have a safe way to keep documentation, use it. Something Mm -hmm. that I ran into was there were injuries to documents and I had the ability to get photographs of them Mm -hmm. um, with, I had a few friends that I was still able to engage with and that I was allowed to see and they were able to help me get documentation when the injuries had occurred just a few days before I was able to leave and even though those photographs did help my what happened and helped me achieve the outcome I had there were a few roadblocks because they weren't from a medical professional just any professional that works with children and families or professionals that work with domestic violence mm-hmm. um i was told that our a da's office couldn't accept photographs that weren't from a medical professional and it just was shocking because I was, I, I remember thinking like, how would I have known that right. there is no, there is no book. You're not given a book of, in case this happens, what do you do? Like, what's the best way to protect yourself? If this happens, there was nothing out there. You know, if you have the ability to document anything, I, I have found what saved, helped me. And also took away my, um, my fear of anything being found out that I was documenting was I, my friends took the photographs and if I had the ability to have anything, I also had my own documentation that I put in emails, photographs. Um, uploading something, a document, and I emailed to a group of friends, and then I went and I deleted my sent emails. Mm-hmm. That was how I was able to make sure they were safe, but my emails were deleted, so they weren't easily found if my email was accessed and just going through my sent. What would you suggest for people who are listening who do need to work with? Um, child welfare agencies or domestic violence um, agencies, what would you suggest for those listening? My suggestion is um, you need to be ready to be completely open and honest. Um, And I know they can be scary to work with. And I did work with the child welfare agency when I left and when just like no I didn't know what CPS was until like when someone asked have I notified CPS I asked them who was CPS Hmm. so I did go into engaging with a child welfare agency not even knowing like really how they could help me never like reading about them that's the one thing I did go in blindly. You have to be ready to, to leave and not go back. And I shared everything. I, 
I gave them friends' phone numbers. I gave them neighbors' phone numbers, their names. I sent, had friends send everything that I had shared with them in emails. I talked about every single thing, even from when it first started, why I was confused and what steps I was trying to take and letting them know. I had no idea. I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where to go. I didn't even understand that this was even happening to me while I was in it. And I still, when I left, I was still wondering, did this really happen to me? Was it really bad? And it was CPS that helped me realize, no, this was bad and this was horrible and you needed to get out. And this person is very dangerous. Right. But the one thing that I continued to tell myself was um, no father is better than a bad father. And with him, if he chose to engage in services and he completed services, it would look like, hey, he's, he's, he's learned from this. He's accepted what has been done, what he did. He, he acknowledges this. But just because a service isn't completed, a class is taken, they might go to therapy, that doesn't mean like the change has been made. It comes from actions. And the one thing that while you're going through this leading up to being able to go, being able to get full freedom is they'll continue to interact. And you, you just have to sit back and let them do their own work. Don't encourage them to get the help because sometimes things will not change and words are just words. And I think what's hard in relationships when you leave, you've been conditioned that you're responsible for their actions, that you're responsible, it's your responsibility to remind them to do things, but it's not. When you leave, everything needs to stay on them. What they choose to do, they've been ordered to do services if a child welfare organization is involved, or if even the court is ordering services, don't encourage them to do anything. You do not want to help them because, again, it's on them to make the change. So what would you say to survivors who are listening um, as they prepare for court? That's going back to education. Mm -hmm. Um, Like what I had but I spoke on earlier, the first thing I did when I left that same day was I got on the internet and I started searching. I started reading family code. I started looking for attorneys. I started, and there wasn't a lot out there again. When I was going through this again, there was, there was no, there's no social media. There's no pages for advocates. There was no, there's, like social media had nothing that it has today. There is so much information out there. Um, it's, it's amazing how much education there is. But there also, I couldn't find anything just on the internet either. Like I was trying to find blogs. I was trying to find anybody that had wrote, written a story about like what to expect. What, what is this going to be like? So what I did, I just started, I, I started reading Family Code. And I just Google searched family lawyers and put my state and put my county and put 
um, the city I lived in. And I started from there and I just read reviews. I learned about a domestic violence organization in my area. I called and I made an appointment. And that's around the time when, you know, CPS did become involved. And um, so I learned a bit more about domestic violence organizations in my area through also CPS. They, they gave me, they educated me as well. And I just continued to educate myself just like through just searching and searching. And I read reviews on lawyers. Um, I, and I just started making phone calls to lawyers asking basically for free consults. So I interviewed about five different lawyers before I found the lawyer that I wanted. And one lawyer that I interviewed with was um, with a domestic violence organization. And this part is the most important thing is choosing the right lawyer. You have to be your own advocate. You have to know your own story. You have to be ready to tell your story over and over. So what would you tell people listening um, so that they know what are the red flags to look out for when trying to find a lawyer to help them? Um, one red flag would be, well, there's, you know, well, I would say red flags would be um, how they respond to when you talk to them about what you went through. Um, when you tell them what you want and why you want it, um, how they respond would be like what you need to watch for. If, um, if a lawyer ever says, well, it's hard to bring up domestic violence in family court, or this is, this is complicated or judges don't like to hear about that. That's when you can go ahead and just like no longer the consult can end because, that right there shows that that attorney is not capable of representing you and doesn't understand how necessary what you're asking for is if they can't if they don't want to if they don't want to inform the judge on the domestic violence on the safety on the violence you need to find a lawyer that is comfortable working with victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it is not easy and it is hard and things can get twisted. So the major red flag is how they respond to your story. Um, if they start discussing why we shouldn't mention certain things, that that's just right there. You know, that's not the right lawyer for you. And that's what I want to go back to my lawyer is when the one that I did choose, her response was, we can do this. And she told me how, and she gave me different avenues that would have, we would have to take depending on the, like, which, like, depending on what court my case was assigned to once filed would depend on which avenue we would go down. And if it was, filed if it was ended up in a certain judge's courts she was going to do this route if it was filed in this one of those other judges then we would possibly go this route and she so then what i took after i chose her and filing is i went home and i started researching all the family courts and researching the judges um now 
you can get on social media and the internet and there's so much information out there on the judges, but back then there really wasn't much out there. But um, my lawyer also answered my questions about why don't we want this judge? Why don't we want that judge? Because you really have to know what you're going into and you do need to find a lawyer that is willing to fight for you and not be scared. Because a lot of where I see people make mistakes is they um, they let their ex know everything that they're doing. They let them know, I'm getting a freaking lawyer. No, you don't get a freaking lawyer. Don't tell them you're getting a lawyer. I get it. I think like strategy is everything, right? To actually file for divorce here in New Mexico, you have to be a resident. And I wasn't a resident, obviously, because he stripped my residency from me and working mm-hmm. for me. And so when I came home, I was just like visiting family and mm-hmm. uh, and I yes. filed for divorce, pressed you know, charges were filed for a shirting order and I never looked back. Okay. So what steps did you take in obtaining full freedom with your lawyer? What steps did you and your lawyer take together? Well, leading up to choosing my lawyer, I actually made a conscious decision to not let um, my abuser know that I was even thinking about going to court to get a custody order. Um, like I I had said that when I, um, when I left, I called CPS and they stayed involved until my final order was signed. Um, he was working services or he was meeting with CPS. He wasn't working services for the whole time. And I kind of just led him to believe that while he was working with CPS, that was his time to um, to work on himself. That once CPS was closed, then we would talk about recounseling and getting back together. Um, but, you know, I used that time. That's when I was researching and that's when I was educating and that's when I was um, meeting with lawyers. But I never told him that. And I know sometimes you feel like you need to be open and honest and let them know what you're doing, but you don't. Right. This is the person that hurt you. This is the person that hurt your child or might hurt your child. This is the person that did not care the fear that you lived in, did not care how you felt. You don't need to let them know what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with not telling them what you're doing. And That I know is what helped me. They, while I was educating myself and meeting with lawyers, he he didn't know. And when I met with my lawyer that I decided on, and I knew that she was who I was going to pick, we immediately started discussing like like which direction I was going to go, like which direction we were going to go. Um, if it was, if it was in this court, we would do this. If it was in this court, we would do that. We came up with like multiple plan, plan A, plan B, plan C. Mm -hmm. And one thing she told me, she, or she asked me, does he know that you're meeting with lawyers? And I was like, no. And she's like, don't tell him you don't have to, which I already made that decision that I, I knew, but she reaffirmed that I didn't need to tell him. And then she asked, do you think he'll obtain a lawyer? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. He might. And so I took the strategy of just like, he didn't need to know anything. Like he didn't. And so I believe that's what helped me. And 
as my lawyer was writing everything up and we, she predicted based on how the courts were running, how long it would take for us to get a court date. Um, he, he believed that we were working towards being back together. My lawyer and I talked about the best and worst case scenarios. Um, also moving forward and going in front of a judge. And, you know, that's also something important is why you need to ask all the questions when you first consult with a lawyer, because sometimes that's like the most time you will get the most time you will get with your lawyer is during a consult. And so that's why it's important to ask every single question, understand their strategy, understand what their plan is. Um, and talking about your fears of like, I don't want this because of this and just hearing out like what they know they can do. And it's important to make sure you, you pick a lawyer that understands the complexities of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, financial abuse, coercive control, and really knows how the courts work. Um, I had a lawyer that I knew going into meeting with her that she was in good standing with family courts that she had not had any um, disciplinary actions with our state bar. That's just going going back a bit, that is something else when you're calling for free consults, you want to go ahead and research the attorneys you're gonna be consulting with so you understand who they are, who they've worked with, reading reviews, if they've had disciplinary actions, because if you're seeing stuff that you're not, you don't, you are red flags right there, you, you don't need to waste your time like consulting with them. And so my lawyer was able to talk about other cases that she had worked on with what outcomes, hmm. which is what gave me the confidence also that she really could give me what I promised. Right. And she explained with, you know, without breaking confidentiality, she was able to tell me like, I've worked on this kind of case and we were able to get this. And with what you're, what, what we have and what you, what you have and what the evidence you have, I believe that this is the route that we can go. And, and, you know, it's, we went over, it's very important not to share anything with them. Why it's important to file first, filing for first, you, you get the head start. Mm-hmm. And also why it's important, you don't want to wait. Like there was still some guilt that I had, even though when I left, I left. But there was always a little bit of guilt. It was like, maybe should they have a bit more time or should should they know? You know, she was able to remind me, this is what you want and you want it now. You don't need to wait. You don't need to wait for more time to have gone by or for something to maybe a change that could possibly make them look better in court. And that's something that I think is very important. You need to go in fast Mm -hmm. and you need to, you need to, you have, you, there's no reason this, you should allow the, this person to have a chance to educate themselves, to, to get a lawyer themselves, to understand how the family courts work. And I think that's um, or that's where I see a lot of mistakes is early on. You, you just have to go in and remember the end goal is safety for yourself and your child. Mm-hmm. And because I kept that on the focus, I was I didn't communicate with him. He didn't know what was coming. And that's really what how I got my freedom is my lawyer helped with her order, the order that she created to make it where 
there was no more, there could be no more involvement or any contact regarding my child. And once you do have the final order and everything is signed, there will be moments where things are hard that they, it's, it's, you cut off, you cut your, you're, you're able to have yourself cut off from them. And they, they don't like that. They will continue to try to engage with you. They will try to push buttons to set you off. You just have to remember to stop. Do not engage. Do not correct them. You do not have to stick up for yourself. And eventually it will get better and it will go away. But the most important thing is, is like going back to like the day you decide to leave, the day you are able to leave is the day that you need to cut off all communication completely. And that is how like I have my freedom as of it's 13 years this year that I have been free. I think it's definitely very powerful to be equipped by like a fellow survivor um, because I think somebody can sit there all day and say like, these are the steps from A to Z. But um, I think, you know, navigating the system and most of it is trial and error. And we learn through error, unfortunately, because we don't, we are not equipped to navigate the system. And so um, I think hearing like the areas where there is error, but also like where there is success. I think it's really powerful to sit here and to listen to somebody who, you know, has conquered this and who has navigated it. And um, I just hope that people who are listening can, you know, even if they're still in those early stages, I feel like there's, I know that there's a lot of people listening who are in those early stages where they are confused and they're like, you know, I don't know if like what I experienced is abuse, you know, or I feel guilty you know, because often what we're talking about right now is strategy. And it's really hard to allow yourself to strategize when you feel like you still owe something to that partner. And so yes. just like yes. notes here and separating like, this is my emotions and these are my feelings versus like, okay, like this is like, I think you really do have to separate the confusion and the notes and you need to like, the only way that you're going to thrive is if you survive off of your why and figuring out why I'm leaving, why I'm staying out because they're never going to change. They're not going to get better. Things are not going to resolve. And this is what I'm going to do to survive. Um, It's powerful. It's really, really powerful stuff. First off, I just want to say thank you for you know, joining me and being able to just relate some of your wisdom um, that you've learned through your own journey. And for those listening, um, I just want to remind you, you know, whatever season that you're in right now, uh, whatever space you're in, that I think, you know, there is hope. I know that there is hope and it is very tiring and many of us feel very weary and it's challenging, but it's not impossible. And there are tools that can equip you and, you know, today, this episode and continuing on in the next episodes and the past ones, we are setting up a season to equip you so that you, you know, don't have to walk through this trial and error like some of us did. And, um, I hope that you take this and that you sit with it, um, and just know that there's a community here that is supporting you. And while it's like a challenging thing to be intricately, you know, uh, all relating to something that's so horrific sometimes I think it's also really beautiful because um 
that's what we're here for is like as survivors to equip other survivors and those who have walked before us are aiding and those who are just beginning their journey now leaving. So yeah, you guys, I'm really grateful for those who are listening here. Um, if this episode has impacted you or if this season has impacted you, if you want to go ahead and rate what was her name on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. This helps others to find the podcast and locate it as well as just hear your personal stories and know how it affects you and then it encourages them to listen. So yeah, thanks again for listening, guys. And tune in next Thursday, there will be the next episode. Thanks, guys.